Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp magazines for over 25 years. Online at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event Podcast, Morgan Holmes discusses Robert E. Howard and Fiction House Publishers. The talk was recorded on Thursday, August 4, 2022, at PulpFest 50 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All right. Um, yeah, Fiction House, uh, 1921 to 1955, uh, pretty uh, successful uh, pulp company, and uh, very, very important for Robert E. Howard. Uh, to give you some stats here, look at my spreadsheet. Uh, Howard had 23 stories in uh, action stories, and he had 13 stories in fight stories, but uh, there was also 16 reprints later on. Uh, Weird Tales, there was 53 stories, four reprints, and 40 poems. Uh, There was uh, some years like, uh, you know, he had two stories in 1931 in action, five stories in 1934, Six in 1935, six in 1936. Uh, 1930, seven stories. Three in 1931, two in 1932 when things went under. I didn't know about that, about the widow. Uh, you know, Fiction House was darn lucky it didn't go the way of Clayton uh, for that. But the, uh, I'm going to talk about fight stories first. And, uh, okay, let's just see if I can, or do I do it? There we go. All right, so, you know, just some, uh, you know, the, the break there of when they went. Um, action stories made it the fall of 1950. Uh, fight stories made it the spring of 1952. Robert E. Howard got into uh, fight stories a year after it came out. And uh, what's interesting is if you uh, look at some of the people that were in fight stories, it was uh, William Kofoid had edited it. And it was a mix of articles, columns, and true stories in addition uh, to the fiction. I think people forget, boxing was hugely popular back then. My dad loved boxing. You know, probably that and baseball, I'm thinking, were two of the big ones. You know, hockey was probably just this weird thing by the Canadian border. And uh, it's interesting, you know, looking through the Fiction Mag's uh, index, uh, you had Arthur J. Burks, Jack Byrne, who was also a co-editor, Theodore Roscoe, Rogers Terrell, Paul Gallico, the Poseidon Adventure guy, Eugene Cunningham, who was known for his westerns, Robert Leslie Bell, were all in fight stories. And uh, they also got this guy, Charles Francis Coe, who wrote a series about soccer dually that was in Argosy, and it moved to fight stories. But the uh, Howard's first story is The Pit of the Serpent, and it was an Arthur J. Burke story in the first issue. And the uh, first paragraph is, The men of the Dauntless have disliked the Seagirls' crew ever since our skipper took their captain to a cleaning on the wards of Zanzibar. Them being narrow-minded that way, they claim that the old man had a knuckle duster on his right, which is a ridiculous and dirty lie. He had it on his left. And uh, so you can kind of see, you know, there's a little, little bit of lightheartedness. Uh, you know, uh, Taylor Steve Costigan, he's, he's on a uh, cargo ship around the world. This way Howard could uh, have stories all, all over the world. Uh, Pit of the Serpent takes place in Manila. And 
you know, it's interesting is, is there's like a screwball comedy aspect to it. It's almost like a, um, a uh, you know, some slapstick going on there. But yet, when he gets into the actual fight scenes, they kind of turn serious. Though he, he did in, in the uh, Pit of the Serpent, he's, I was landing the most blows that they rocked Sven from stem to stern, but they wasn't vital ones. Already his face was beef. One eye was closed, his lips were pulped, and his nose was bleeding. His left side was raw, but if anything, he seemed to be getting stronger. My training hadn't touched him a bit more than I realized. So he, um, something I have here, uh, Howard had seven stories in fight stories in 1930. He had four in Weird Tales. You know, one could make a case. I mean, he was very much a fiction uh, house uh, writer. You know, in 1929, he wrote to Tavis Clyde Smith, and he said, my story, The Pit of the Serpent, came out in Fight Stories this month. Get a copy and read it. It will give you a good idea about how to write a sports story, and style and form are not much, but the mechanics are perfect. Writing is a lot like architecture. The whole st structure has to suit. Each piece has to be in place. A master of the game, like Kipling, for instance, or Jack London, always places the right pieces right. A dub like me stumbles onto the right combination once in every 500 stories he writes. But as I say, the architecture of the story is more perf nearly perfection than any other I ever wrote, regardless of the general merits of the story. Uh, in June 1930, Howard did have a serious story, uh, The Iron Man. And it's probably about the closest you're going to get. Uh, that's the bulldog breed, the second story, and uh, uh, his bulldog, Mike, plays, takes a big part in it. You know, Howard loved his dogs, and, uh, you know, and Mike, is, uh, Mike the bulldog is in many of the stories, and there's an interior there uh, for that. Uh, Sailor's Grudge, another one. You know, very, very typical early 30s uh, um, art. The um, Fist and Fang, another one. Uh, that takes place, you know, again, in uh, tropical areas. You know, I, you know, Howard could engage in any sort of exotic uh, locale he wanted to. The, uh, here we go, the Iron Man. You know, this is pretty much a hard-boiled story. Uh, you know, it's about a guy that's a fighter. He's not a natural. He just kind of slugs it out. And uh, Howard wrote about it in a letter. He said, got a letter from Fiction House. I'd written about uh, Iron Men. He said they hadn't seen it, but he would try to trace it. I told him I'd rewrite it from the copy and send it to him if he hadn't gotten it. And he told him that, uh, he said to hold everything till he heard from me again. I hope he'll find it and take it. I don't see him how a carefully addressed letter gets lost in the mail. He also said in response to remark that I was preparing more Steve Costigan stories and uh, for that. And uh, I'm not blaming the editors as much as I used to. I write a good story and they enthuse about it. Next time I'll fall so much below standard, whatever that is, they get discouraged about me and forget about me. Oh, well. And then uh, he, in another letter to Tevis Clyde Smith, uh, he mentions about they took another Costigan story for $100. They also finally located Iron Man and accepted it for 200 This is by far the best story I ever wrote. And in many ways, the best story of any kind I ever wrote. I guess my destiny is tied up with the Costigan family. I never sold fight stories, a story that didn't deal with them. The central figure of uh, Iron Men isn't a Costigan, but both Steve and his brother Iron Mike figure in the story. The story isn't humorous like the others. It's harsh and brutal. I don't know whether the readers will like it or not. The, uh, this would, for uh, Iron Men, or the Iron Man, as it was rewritten, they also cut it down. Uh, it was heavily edited. 
would fit, you know, if you were to do like a hard-boiled fiction of the 1930s and have like W.R. Burnett, Hammett, Chandler, Iron Man would fit right in it. I mean, it's just very much of its time. Uh, here's another uh, Winter Take Cold. All the rest of the stories are caustic and stories uh, for that. Uh, Winter Take Cold sold, uh, they paid him $80. That would be $1,419 today. So, you know, if you're selling seven, eight uh, uh, stories a year to a magazine, you know, that adds up. Alley's Apparel sold for $80. And um, you mentioned to Smith, uh, I'm not surprised that Byrne turned the story down. Like all my work, this is for Alley's Apparel. It was weak in plot construction. Few action stories have a plot worth a damn, but how the authors get by with them, I don't know. I can't. Perhaps the editors resented the touch of realism in the action. The fight was simply a dramatic description of the Goddard uh, Choinsky bout with a few changes, such as the ending. In the first fight, Goddard eventually won by his rough tactics. Flinging his body against Choinsky and crushing him through the ropes weakened the lighter man so much that Goddard knocked him out later in the bout. I read the dual article in the Dallas News and I'm thinking of sending it to Lovecraft to show him what a hell ripper Uncle Terrence was. As if Lovecraft would have been interested in reading about a boxing match. <laughs> a little bit of a disconnect there. Uh, but the you know, Waterfront Fist, uh, Alley's Apparel, uh, Circus Fist, you know, he has, he has, he's on the cover there. Again, on the cover. And um, uh, for that. So he um, had a letter in. Uh, 1931, and it was to Tavis Clyde Smith. I finally clicked with Action Stories, $75 worth. Street and Smith wrote me they want to take over the Steve Costigan story series for their magazine, Sports Stories, which they say is bi-monthly. I told them I expected that Fight Stories would want to keep Steve, but offered them another prize ring series instead. I hope they'll accept. And, uh, and in April 32, he wrote, uh, so I sent it to Fiction House, and uh, back it came with a statement that Fight Stories has been or is going to be taken off the stands. I mentioned to you a year or so ago that the magazine wasn't going to be published more than a year or so. The, uh, so that kind of you know, brings an end uh, you know, by early 1932 with Fight Stories. You know, the depression's going hard. Uh, Ed had mentioned about uh, the widow wanted her money. They ceased fiction for a year. And eventually... Um, Fight stories would start back up in 1936, and when they did, it was already too late for Howard. Uh, so now we're going to circle back a little bit here to um, action stories. And oh, I'll add one other thing about uh, fight stories. Uh, I'm not sure, but it might be the first specialist sports story magazine. Uh, you know, you had Street and Smith doing like Detective Fiction Weekly, uh, Western Fiction Weekly. And uh, as far as I can tell, I know like in the 40s you had baseball stories, football stories, all these specialty. And yeah, it's kind of a trend in the 20s to get these specialty uh, magazines. And, you know, Fight Stories might be the um, uh, first specialty sports magazine. You know, also seemed to be the go-to. Okay. Uh, it, it was also the go-to if you wanted to keep up with boxing. Uh, you know, if you wanted to know about fights and things, you, you picked up Fight Stories. And so, you know, kind of an interesting hybrid uh, aspect to, you know, being a pulp magazine, but kind of almost like a, I don't know, like a boxing-oriented sports illustrated. Uh, 
But uh, you know, action stories started out in 1921, um, kind of a generalist action pulp. Uh, some of the people in the early issues, Morgan Robertson, who is a uh, had been dead for dead for like a, a decade. He was he specialized in sea stories. Marie Leinster, Gray Lespina, Wyndham Martin, uh, Carl Detzer, Frederick C. Davis, Albert Richard Wetchin, uh, L. Patrick Green, Anthony Rudd, Kenneth Perkins, A. Hyatt Verrill, Edwin Baird, Harold Ward, Carol John Daly, Dashiell Hammett had a story as Peter Collinson in one issue. Uh, and what's interesting, the earlier issues uh, will say uh, complete detective and adventure stories. So there's almost like an overlap with Black Mask at that early period, kind of had that mix of you know, Western uh, detective, a little bit of adventure all in there before it kind of went into totally uh, detective fiction. And the... Um, uh, there seemed to be a drift, you know, going through the issues of, of the uh, contents, but, you know, by, uh, a drift as the Western kind of became predominant. You know, by about 1930, uh, you had a lot of, like, Eugene Cunningham, Walt Coburn, Tom Rohn, Harry F. Olmsted. Uh, and the covers were all for westerns, you know, in that period. And you, know, you did get a little bit of adventure with Arthur J. Burks and Theodore Roscoe going on and uh, for that. Uh, you know, he did mention uh, in a, uh, Howard in a letter to Tavis Clyde Smith, I got a laugh out of my uh, story, which appeared this month in Action Stories, Sign of the Snake. Uh, they changed the name of the character, McClarney, to Steve Costigan, though the style of the tale was nothing at all like Steve. And they capped the story by the author of the TNT Punch. I never wrote a story by that title in my life. And uh, I think they did that later on. Let's see here. TNT Punch is... Uh, that's actually January 1931. And uh, so, you know, they're, they're changing names uh, for that there. Uh, May 31, he mentioned uh, he got paid $75 for the House of Peril. And uh, it must be the regular price for short stories now. Uh, the stuff I quoted in my former letter about Costigan's Belladonna Spree was in the words of Byrne verbatim, whatever the hell that means. I submitted a story based on the suggestion, and I hope he takes it. The yarn I sold uh, action stories has characters named Mike Dorgan and Bill McGlory, and I just wonder if Dorgan isn't changed to Costigan before it appears in print. So it must be the Steve Costigan stories were pretty popular with... Um, Fiction House, they were, you know, the editors were changing it. And then uh, 32, he uh, wrote, uh, Byrne rejects my trite with reason. I'm slipping on action stories. Rather, I've already slipped. Mashburn complains that my characters are too bitter against the world and life as a whole. Continued disappointments in one's career are likely to curdle one's optimism. And then uh, action stories took a break. He wrote the August 11th, December of 33. Um, Action stories return to the wars on a bi-monthly basis. I've landed only one yarn with them, but I hope to work out a series, as I'll be used to do in the past, with Steve Costigan, the fighting sailor. My character is one Breckenridge Elkins, a giant of the Humboldt Mountains, whose exploits are the Pecos Bill style. And, uh, so the, and at this point, when action stories came back, it was all westerns. There really wasn't any adventure stories till 1937. You can see here with like the covers, uh, this is earlier on, here we go as it came back. Mountain Man, the very first Breckenridge Alkin story uh, there, and uh, A Gent from Bear Creek, 1934. 
And, uh, you know, once he was selling, I mean, he's just like an issue after issue from March of 34 up through uh, January 37. And in fact, there are 18 Elkin stories, as many as there were Conan in uh, Weird Tales. There were 17 Costigan stories uh, for that. Um, let's just see here, so you can see, uh, yeah, he's on the cover. Um, Tom Rohn is the only other, Barry Scooby I've heard of. Uh, Eugene Cunningham, was, who was just a huge uh, Western writer at the time uh, for that. Uh, the Haunted Mountain, uh, again, Howard, Howard's on the cover. Again, Eugene Cunningham gets the cover. Uh, another one, War on Bear Creek. Um, here's an interior for War on Bear Creek. And uh, that one came up. Uh, and that's an interior. That's a Rudolph Belarski uh, interior there for one of the Elkin stories. Now, the Elkin stories are, you know, pure humor. Uh, you had a little bit of seriousness with Steve Costigan's stories, like in the fight scenes and some of the setups. Uh, this is, uh, it's just pretty much, you know, you can maybe call it uh, cornball humor. Uh, you know, Elkins is a big, like, six-foot-six uh, lummox uh, raised in the mountains, you know, just, just a babe in the woods, and, uh, like, Mountain Man, the setup is Elkins gets his clothes stolen while taking a bath in the stream. And he decides to rob somebody to get some clothes. He needs a pair of pants because he's going into town. And his dad sent him in there. You know, he's warning him about the thing. There's somebody called sheriff, and, and they were, you know, they tell you hand over your gun. You better do it. And he said, "Well, how do I know these sheriffs? So they got this ten star on them." But the uh, he holds up this guy, and he asks, "What kind of people live in these hills anyway?" And he said, "Most of them's Democrats." I said, "But I got no time to talk politics. You climb out of them clothes." And, uh, and it's kind of a, a lot of, um, something that was found about uh, some time back is, you know, I've been speculating for years, did Robert E. Howard see King Kong? Well, in one of the open stories, there's guys coming across a gorge, and he picks up the uh, log and starts turning them, you know, pretty much just like King Kong does in the movie. Kind of shows he, he probably saw King Kong uh, for that. But the, uh, yeah, just, just pure uh, slapstick how many of you knew that Robert E. Howard loved Marx Brothers movies? Yeah, he, he, uh, he, he, you can kind of see it. It's like I was telling uh, one writer about that. You know, and on one hand, you got uh, Groucho doing his monologues. So you got to really pay attention to what he's saying. But on the other hand, you got the other two or three brothers, whichever, you know, the, the slapsticks. So you got this mix of different types of comedy going on there. And the, uh, uh, but with the, um, Breckenridge Elkins, I mean, it's just pure, I mean, you, you could just, it's almost like Three Stooges type stuff going on where Elkins just gets himself into these situations and gets himself in deeper and deeper. It's very, very physical. You know, and the other part is it works for Howard. He had a, he had a knack for comedy. I mean, it's like, you know, you always think of like, you know, the Conan stories, the weird tale stuff of this grim, dark, almost nihilistic, uh, you know, uh, cosmic horror with gothic touches. And then you got this 180 difference in action stories with the Breckenridge Elkins. Now, obviously, they were popular. Uh, you know, the fact that he had 18 stories, almost every issue from uh, 34 through early 37. And it's so much that when Jack Byrne left the Argosy, he had him start up a new series for Argosy. And also, he was doing it for Cowboy Stories for F. Orland Tremaine, who he had had, um, he was in Top Notch. Uh, Complete Stories, I believe, was a different um, editor. Yeah, but it's interesting, Tremaine liked to use a lot of the same writers like Wandry, Murray Lin Linster, 
he would get them in all, all these magazines. And it would have been interesting to have a Donald Wandry Western. And uh, he um, uh, wrote the Lovecraft in 1934. Action Stories is running a series of humorous westerns concerning the mythical exploits of one Breckenridge Elkins. Price read some of these stories and seemed to like them very much. E. Hoffman Price. Uh, he advised me to try and smooth uh, the, the smooth paper market with this character, and I think I will if I ever get around to it. At present, I'm trying to crash a new Western market. And uh, then he mentions the Lovecraft in May of 36. The new editor of Argosy has asked me, Emily Jack Byrne, asked me to create a new Western character on the order of Breckenridge Alkins. And I've uh, made one in a person, uh, person of Pike Bearfield of Wolf Mountain, Texas. I don't know how it'll come out. If I can get a series running in Argosy, keep the Elkins series running in action stories now a month, now a monthly, and the Buckner James Grimes stories and cowboy stories, I'll feel justified in devoting practically all my time to writing of weird stories. And this was a time where weird tales owed him a lot of money. You know, he'd written letters to Farnsworth Wright saying, hey, can you, you know, uh, speed it up with sending me monthly checks? You know, his mom was sick, dying, they had bills. And he pretty much walked away from Weird Tales. He even asked uh, E. Hoffman Price about Weird Tales. He asked, is Weird Tales a racket anymore? And you know, he had had serious, serious doubts about Weird Tales. He had walked away from it. The, uh, let's go here. Um, more, um, again, he's on the cover. And, uh, and then here's an ad from 1936 for Fight Stories. He's coming back, love romances going on there. And then um, in the late 30s, early 40s, uh, Fight Stories re-ran uh, or reprinted uh, the Costigan stories uh, as under the pseudonym Mark Adam. And then they, re they renamed the stories. And so here's one right here. You can kind of see the, uh, you know, the late 30s. Uh, art, you know, that it's different from the early 30s uh, going on there. And uh, John Starr, one of the uh, Fiction House um, names, the, um, yeah, they changed Cannibal Fist from Fist and Fang. Here's another nice cover there. Uh, the Rube of the Racketeer. I mean, you know, talk about a classic 30s hard-boiled, you know, it looks like this guy, you know, he's probably being told to take a dive. You know, and there's the gangster with the gun pointing it at him. It's like, take a dive or else. And, uh, you know, just, just you know, there might be some great hard-world fiction uh, to be mined in here uh, for that. Uh, here's one from uh, during World War II, uh, from 1942. Um, and uh, the, uh, a lot of these authors in this period, I, uh, Bill Human, I do recognize, he wrote uh, gold medal paperbacks later on, uh, Westerns. And uh, about 15 years ago, my old buddy Steve Tompkins was reading George Orwell and came across something about fight stories. And there was a description. He tracked it down. Orwell read Howard. It was probably from 1938. Uh, it was the um, story, uh, including the Scandinavian from fall 1940, which was originally Viking of the Glucks. But uh, Orwell happened to have this to say about Howard. A paper like Fight Stories, for instance, would have very little appeal except the sadist and masochist. So uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, thing. George Orwell had actually read Robert E. Howard boxing fiction on that. So that's a bizarre thing. 
speculations. You know, we got to get into with Howard died at age 30. If he hadn't picked up the, uh, the Colt 1903, 380 caliber and put a bullet through his head, you know, had he lived. Uh, he had said to Derleth, I had no confidence in my ability to write convincingly on, on science fiction. Frankly, it seems to me the average pseudo-scientific tale always accepting the really fine stuff of such men as Wanderai, Williamson, Keller, and a few others is pretty poor stuff, below the average level of the uh, weird detective or adventure yarn. The reader of this type of fiction seems to demand the same plots over and over again to resent the slightest variation. And Daryl, I remember once said, you know, a lot of the science fiction in the 30s was subpar. It wasn't even good enough. You know, your stuff in Wonder Stories and, and uh, Amazing was subpar. And uh, you know, Howard didn't seem to have much uh, interest in science fiction. But uh, first Jungle Stories came out in 38, Planet Stories in 39. I could see, could have seen Howard writing uh, backup stories for Jungle Stories. Uh, I am probably the only person in the world who's a fan of Armand Brigot or Brigade, however you pronounce him. He wrote a lot of backups for uh, Jungle Stories. Supposedly he'd been in the French army uh, in North Africa, he was part American, part French, and was invalided out for wounds uh, across Africa. When you read his stories, they're very, very authentic sounding. A lot of them set around Chad. And uh, he wrote a lot of lot, really cool lost race stories. I could see Howard doing something like that for jungle stories. Who knows? Maybe he even could have written a keyboard story or two. Um, Planet Stories. It's a different sort of pulp. My favorite science fiction pulp. I have all 71 issues. And there were some authors different. You had like Wilbur S. Peacock, uh, Emmett McDowell, who really weren't in other science fiction pulps. The interesting thing is, you know, you get into Planet Stories about the mid, in the late 40s, you start seeing Robert E. Howard influences some of the writers. You see it with Lee Brackett. Uh, she has these barbarians on Venus and elements of it in their Martian stories. Gardner Fox, uh, you read his stuff, you can see the Howard influence. And um, the big one, Paul Anderson, which I reprinted here, The Virgin of Alcarian. Anderson had three very Howard-esque stories in uh, Planet in 19, around 1950. And uh, if you were to file off the serial numbers and present them to somebody, you, know, you, you could probably almost pass them off as Howard stories. So, I mean, there's always that chance that Howard would have kept going on uh, Planet Stories could have been a, uh, a market where he could have written Barbarians and Other Worlds. In fact, this issue says a, um, a, a Barbarian Worlds novel. And uh, so it's an interesting thing. You know, Planet just has this, this certain type of story set on other planets where they're kind of sword and sorcery, but they, they kind of you know, uh, cover it over with pseudoscience. And, uh, you know, and you know, Anderson was going for uh, full Howard mode. Uh, with these three stories uh, for that. But the, um, um, yeah, we're kind of at an era now where, you know, does anybody write boxing fiction anymore? Does anybody write sports fiction anymore? And, uh, but the, you know, boxing was hugely popular and uh, the Costigan stories were so popular, uh, they were reprinted in fight stories with um, 16 reprints in the late 30s and into the 40s. So it goes to show, um, you know, they viewed uh, the Costigan stories as great boxing. And they're a lot of fun. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, just to read the, the, um, the fight scenes, <laughs> they're brutal. And uh, for that, 
that the uh, you know the Elgin stories are uh, you know the, you, you space them out. I mean, it, it's kind of like Jethro Bodine and, and Ellie May. You know, you wanna. You know, I mean, it's very much it's Elmon Potkettle and you know very very much you know burlesque and um, you know that you know you space those out. And uh, I was looking to see if Dave Gensel might be here tonight because he edited. Hey, there's Dave. Dave knows way more about the Elkin stories than me. And because uh, he edited the book for Bison Books, uh, the uh, the humorous westerns, and uh, for that. So, if you have any questions about Elkins, ask Dave. Yeah, Dave. If you mentioned one specific case you cited in one of the letters, do you know if Howard had many of these stories rejected from either action or fight stories, or were they pretty much publishing what he sent them? Most of it. There was. I think there's like two stories that got rejected, and he even pretty much admits he said I was slacking. And I think one of them he rewrote, and, and they then accepted it. So he, uh, so there, there. Um, if there's any rejected stories, there might be one, and I might be wrong on that. So he, he seemed to have a pretty great relationship, far better than with Farnsworth Wright, uh, you know, Jack Byrne and William Kofoot. Oh, an interesting thing is Kofoot then was with uh, Jack Dempsey's uh, Fight magazine. Howard sent stories there. That magazine folded. Kofo then went and uh, got the story. He went over to uh, the Dime Sports. There was apparently a whole bunch of fiction mags people over with Popular. And uh, he, um, he got uh, uh, two stories. Uh, or no, one story uh, for that. And by that point, uh, Howard had mentioned uh, to Klein, Otis Klein got pretty ticked off about it. And Howard said, hey, just this one time, you know, I'm still using you as my agent. He, um, but Howard said, he said, I just want to use this as a means to get my foot in the door of popular publications, which I've been wanting to do badly. He said, I'm burned out on sports stories and I want to move on. And uh, so it's an interesting thing, but um, you know, Kofo had, had thought enough of Howard to take those stories that were <coughs> still in uh, stock when Jack Dempsey's went under and got them in, you know, went around to the other uh, and got them in with popular. Yeah, Daryl. Your comment about Howard and the Marx Brothers and Drew's mate. Did Howard ever know the Three Stooges? I, I think they started right after he died. I've looked at that. 33. What? They started about 33. Oh, I thought it was 36. I, there's no mention of, you know, the Marx Brothers. And, I mean, it seemed like when the movies, he, he saw everything. And he, but he seemed to like comedies, like these 30 screwball comedies. But, uh, yeah, no mention of Three Stooges. I, I'm sure he would have loved Curly. I mean, Curly was the funniest man on the planet ever. John? Do you think Howard knew that Fiction House had writers under contract, like, like Colburn and uh, Ted Roscoe? He never mentioned it that I could find in the letters. Uh, most of the letters mentioning Fiction House <coughs> are to uh, Tennis Clyde Smith, and it's basically about sales. It's like, hey, you know, I just sold this story. I made this much money. <laughs> you know, he mentions the Lovecraft in two letters. But, uh, yeah, he, I don't think he had any idea about um, any contract with, you know, Cunningham and Coburn and those guys. That I mean, maybe that was a tight editorial secret. Yeah. What you didn't mention about uh, costing an attempt to do a is the uh, use of uh, unreliable narrator. And uh, how would you use that tremendous Humorous effect. Yeah. And you're, you're reading what the, what the narrator says, which is the, the same across the board. Yeah. 
Oh, it's just like, you know, the one about the knuckle duster, about the other crew lying. It's just like, yeah, he had it on his left, they're lying. But you're, like, you're, while you're reading what he knows, you're realizing what is actually happening. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, the first person, now he was going to rewrite an old Costigan story that was unsold, uh, and he was going to put it in third person. Um, it might have been for Dime Sports uh, in the letter. He mentioned, he said, yeah, I may, I may, uh, um, they want everything in third person. So uh, that would be more difficult to do. Uh, you know, yeah, like you said, you know, the first person uh, does work for comedic effect. And, uh, but yeah, the Costigan stories, though, like I said, they're, they're, there's comedic aspects. But boy, when, when you get into the fight scenes, I mean, they kind of turn serious in a way, in a humorous way. <laughs> what was Al Merrick doing? 39. I'm sure seeing the American plan. Well, that's what I was thinking, future adventures of Esau Cairn. I mean, it, it, uh, it would fit right in. I mean, it was, uh, uh, you know, it's very much like a Barosian um, sword and planet. And, uh, you know, he could have, uh, you know, Elmer has a lot of, like, episodes, especially, like, the first 40%. And he could have broke those up into like separate stories, kind of worked them around and the like. And uh, yeah, it, it's, um, I mean, the Howard effect is there in Planet, you know, with Brackett, Anderson, Gardner Fox, um, Alfred Koppel, um, Warlord of Balker. Great, great story. You got, you know, starships moving knights in armor on horses around the different planets. You know, it's a fallen a galactic civilization. Hey, we're right on time. You've been listening to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp Magazines for over 25 years. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Also, look for the PulpNet on Facebook and on Twitter. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps. This Pulp Event Podcast is copyright 2022 by William P. Lampkin, all rights reserved.